Chapter Five of *The Whispering Man* by Henry Kitchell Webster. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five: A Question of Minutes. Here and there, in the memories of all of us, are days which stand out of the dim past, bathed in a flood of light that spares us not a detail of them. Days like that may be called perpetual yesterdays such a day as that to me was the one that followed the murder of dr marshall it was the day of the coroner's inquest and from the moment i entered the big room in the criminal court building until the moment i left it there was no relief from the strain of the most intense concentration to which i could key my mind nor was there any respite from the rapid alternations between belief and incredulity constantly recurring horror and intermittent relief and the worst shock of all the most utterly and stupendously unexpected thing came as i was leaving the building wearily telling myself that it was all over now at any rate it was the sort of day i should not care to go through again i had warned madeline when she and jack and i were riding downtown together to attend the inquest that she would have to make up her mind to endure all the various discomforts of publicity which the ingenious minds of yellow city editors could subject her to the marshall affair was the biggest news of the day and its participants must suffer the consequences there would be lots of people waiting to stare at her batteries of cameras to be faced sketch artists and wiry young reporters of both sexes demanding interviews these last she could in a measure be shielded from but not from the others of course the arrest of pomeroy and the events which had led up to it and which had appeared in all the morning papers would have for a while at least the effect of keeping the widow and her stepson out of the immediate centre of the focus of attention they did not know yet how frail that barrier was and how soon it must give way i had been in two minds whether to tell them of the astonishing fact which mr stancliffe had so casually communicated to me the night before my real reason i suppose was a cowardly and forlorn hope which since my conversation with geoffrey i had clung to that perhaps mr stancliffe did not know as much about precious stones as he thought he did jack had identified the ruby quite positively might he not be right in his identification after all so long as there was a chance of it i shrank from making them unnecessarily miserable as they were both wanted as witnesses they did not go with me into the court-room but were ushered into a little ante-room adjoining to wait until they should be called for the coroner took his seat the jury filed in and took their places in the box the oath was administered to them and proceedings began if i had needed any further evidence that we were a celebrated case than was afforded by the presence of the crowd and the numerous reporters i should have got it when i saw the district attorney himself elbowing his way brusquely down the aisle and dropping into a seat just inside the railing i knew cromwell pretty well and i was sure that unless he expected a larger share of notoriety than could be extracted from the conviction of an ordinary professional criminal in an ordinary case of robbery and murder 
he would have manifested no such interest at this early stage of the proceedings the first witness called to the stand was the very blonde young woman who had made the unsuccessful attempt to identify pomeroy the night before after she had given her name and address and stated that she had been for several years in the employ of dr marshall the coroner framed his first important question please tell the jury mr rome what the ordinary routine was in dr marshall's office and what your own particular duties were the doctor she said always received his patients in his own private office which was in a corner of the building they waited their turn to see him out in the reception-room where my desk was i had to keep track of the order in which they came in and to make a note of the ones who had special appointments with him when he got through with the patient he generally let them out directly into the corridor without their coming back through the reception-room could you hear as a rule the coroner asked when he opened the door and let a patient out no sir not unless the door was shut with a slam the walls are specially deadened in that building i think because it was intended for doctors and people like that and the door was thick and fitted very closely tell the jury then continued the coroner how you knew when the doctor was through with one patient and ready to see another sometimes she answered he used to open the door into the reception-room and speak to me but he only did that when he wanted to see how many patients were waiting for him generally he just gave two rings on his desk buzzer was there anything else you had to do the coroner asked i had to answer the phone said the girl when they were people the doctor wanted to talk to i put them on his wire when they weren't i put them on dr armstrong's i had two plugs in the desk now said the coroner to get down to the events of yesterday morning was there anything which happened before twelve o'clock which struck you at all at the time or which occurs to you now as you think back upon it as out of the ordinary for the first time in the course of her testimony she hesitated a little i don't know that i would call it unusual she said he got down a little late ten minutes perhaps and he seemed rather short-tempered but he had been that for the last day or two there was nothing else that caught your attention no sir nothing at all there were a number of patients waiting to see him just about the usual number i should say were you acquainted with most of them were they people who came frequently to see the doctor they were mostly strangers she answered they usually were people didn't come to see dr marshall regularly they got sent to him by other doctors there were two or three who came in during the early part of the morning who were old patients after eleven o'clock they were all strangers so far as you know they were strangers that is no i am sure they were the girl persisted do you mean to say questioned the coroner that you were able to recognize at a glance every one who has ever been a patient of dr marshall's no sir said the girl 
but when a person comes in in a lost sort of way not knowing which way to look and then comes up to me and asks me if this is dr marshall's office i know that that person's a stranger very well said the coroner who was the last person whom you admitted to dr marshall's office she gave me her name said the girl as miss gwendolen carr and said her address was the st anthony hotel has she ever come to consult dr marshall before no sir that was the first time i had ever seen her do you know what time it was when you admitted her to dr marshall's office no sir i don't she said i didn't happen to look at my watch until quite a long time afterwards what time was it when you looked at your watch ten minutes past twelve and how long should you say it was then since miss carr had gone into the inner office i couldn't tell you give us your best judgment persisted the coroner was it an hour it may have been an hour perhaps a little less and what did you do then when you had looked at your watch i knew the doctor had an appointment at twelve o'clock and that he considered it important so i gave a short ring on his desk telephone did he answer the ring no sir he didn't unhook the receiver wasn't that rather extraordinary oh no not at all when he was very busy he never would answer the phone unless i gave three rings that meant it was important you hadn't given three rings in this instance no sir one short one and then i waited until half past twelve o'clock go on said the coroner tell the jury as plainly as you can all that happened after that well said the witness at half past twelve i thought i had better give three rings because i knew his twelve o'clock appointment was important i did and listened at the phone to see if he wasn't going to answer when he didn't i rang again and then all at once i began to wonder whether something wasn't the matter so i got up from my desk and walked over to the door and opened it and looked in there was no one else there in the room the doctor was sitting in his swivel chair at the far side of his desk i couldn't see his face very well because the window was behind it but he looked kind of funny somehow not exactly natural i mean he was leaning forward in a queer way for a minute i thought he had dropped to sleep and then i saw he hadn't i don't know how i saw i hadn't got very close i turned round quick and went out into dr armstrong's office did you go out into the corridor or go back through the reception room to get into dr armstrong's office i didn't have to do either i went straight in there's a door opening between was it locked no sir that door was never locked that i know of i believe every person in the room felt a little electrical thrill of premonition at that certainly i did i was reminded of what madeline had said of the way everything fell into a pattern certainly that unlocked door was potentially suggestive well said the coroner what did you tell dr armstrong i didn't tell him anything he wasn't there 
by that time i was beginning to get a little frightened and i went straight from his office out into the corridor meaning to tell an elevator man to call some other doctor down from upstairs i signalled the next car that was coming up to stop but when it stopped i saw dr armstrong getting out he had a little package in his hand i told him i was afraid something was wrong with the doctor and i wanted him to go in and see we went through the reception room i made him go ahead and i followed him back into dr marshall's office tell as fully as you can said the coroner what conversation passed between you and dr armstrong after you had gone through into the inner office there wasn't much that you could call conversation said the girl he was ahead of me but when he got just about as far into the room as i had gotten the first time he stopped and looked at at what was sitting there humped over the desk and he said my god in a kind of whisper and then drew a long breath then he handed me the package he had with him and told me to go put it on his desk and then come back i did it only took me about a quarter of a minute when i got into the room again he was leaning over the the body and seemed to be feeling of the pulse he said to me dr marshall is dead i think he has had an attack of heart failure you'd better go upstairs and call down dr adams as soon as you have done that telephone for the police i did what he told me to that was all i didn't go back into the inner room where it was it seemed to me that she had told her whole story and i was a little surprised when the district attorney got up and asked permission to question her further you said i believe he began that the doctor's signal that he was ready to see another patient was two rings on his desk buzzer why was it two what did one ring mean something else yes sir it meant that i was to go into the office myself had he any other push-buttons in his office besides the one which rang at your desk yes sir there was one he used to call dr armstrong both those buttons were on his desk yes sir so that when he sat where he was when you found him they would have been within easy reach of his hand yes sir that's all said the district attorney i felt a momentary surprise not that these questions should be asked but that they should be asked by the district attorney for the import of them was plain enough the answers they elicited weakened the case against pomeroy tremendously made it seem almost inconceivable that the doctor could have been slain by any one toward whom he had entertained the slightest feeling of suspicion what troubled me about it was not the collapse of the case against pomeroy that i had foreseen but i was sure cromwell would not have set about demolishing it unless he already had another and better one to put in its place the evidence that told for pomeroy must tell equally forcibly against someone else the very blonde young woman left the stand and her place was taken by the one i had heard designated by the police lieutenant last night as the black-eyed one i found myself experiencing a regret which i fancy was shared by many of the other spectators that we were likely to see her delicious face and hear her agreeable voice 
for so short a time her testimony however important would not take long to present she gave her name and the same address which she had confided to the telephone girl the day before and then testified that on the day in question from about ten o'clock in the morning she had been waiting in dr marshall's reception room for a chance to consult him were you personally acquainted with dr marshall asked the coroner no sir i had seen him he had been pointed out to me from a distance but i had never spoken to him your call upon him then was a professional one you mean did i go to him as a patient yes sir can you tell us miss carr the coroner asked what time it was when you were admitted to dr marshall's inner office no sir she said i didn't happen to notice i might be able to guess at it from the time it was when i went out you know then asked the coroner eagerly what time it was when you did go out yes sir i happened to glance up at the clock as i was walking toward the door the door into the corridor i mean it was just twenty minutes to twelve where was the doctor when you left the office he was sitting in his chair behind his desk he didn't walk over to the door with you no sir was there anything the coroner asked slowly anything that you may have observed at that time or previously to cause you to suspect anything unusual then as she did not answer at once he framed the question again did you notice any circumstance during your visit to dr marshall's offices that struck you as suspicious or strikes you so now in the light of what is known to have happened afterwards no sir she said you will realize i think said the coroner the extreme importance of the hour that you have testified to as that at which you left the office that fixes the last moment when dr marshall is known to have been alive have you any doubt whatever as to the accuracy of your memory i appreciate the importance of it she said gravely but i am absolutely certain of the hour it was twenty minutes before twelve when i happened to look up at the clock just as i was opening the door from dr marshall's office into the corridor End of chapter five